Hey everyone, and welcome to Be The Leader You Deserve podcast, where my mission is to inspire you to ask yourself, are you the leader you deserve? Hi, I'm Jill Handley, and I am so excited to be here with you today. Oh, this episode is full of so many amazing takeaways. I could have talked with our guest all day long. But I'm looking forward to welcoming you to Season 7, Episode 30, Leading with Love and Values, Building Capacity in Others to Move from Intention to Impact. So today I am joined by Jenny Kaneen, Principal of Forestdale Elementary School, located in Springfield, Virginia. Now, Jenny and I recently met at the Learning Forward Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. She attended a session that I presented that focused on triaging teacher burnout. Jenny arrived early and sat near the front. We chatted a bit before the session began, and I could immediately sense her passion for her school and for what she does. And I knew from that brief conversation that I had to have Jenny on the show as a guest. So welcome, Jenny. I'm so glad to have you here. Jill, it's such a pleasure to be here um, today, and it was such a gift to meet you in Nashville. It was, I mean, amazing conference, but you were the last session I got to attend, and it was just kind of the cherry on top of what I needed um, as I headed back to take care of others. So thanks for that. I'm so glad our paths crossed. I knew we were, it was meant to be. Absolutely. I felt the exact same way. You know, um, conference attendance is just such a great way for people to interact and and really get recharged with one another. So I appreciated that as well. Well, Jenny, as we get started today, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and the school that you lead? Absolutely. Um, So yes, I am the proud principal, as you said, of Forestdale Elementary School Um, here in Springfield, Virginia. We're right outside Washington, D.C., and um, Forestdale is an amazing place. We are one of 199 schools and centers in Fairfax County, Paul Schools, um, wow. which is huge. We're the 13th largest school division in the nation. Um, and we're this little gem of a school tucked away in our 395 square mile county. And it really, truly is a beautiful place. We are a Title I school. Um, so we're about... free and reduced lunch. You know, it goes back and forth because um, luckily the last couple of years, um, no one's had to fill out um, the FRM. Um, But we are a beautifully diverse community. So we have over 25 languages spoken at Forestdale. And uh, it's so, it's really embraced. Our our librarian has a a sign in the the library that says superpower. Um, It's, yeah, amazing. So... We have, because about 70% of our students are language minority, um, which is, an, you know, an asset because most of our families are bicultural. So that adds such a richness to our community. Um, another unique thing about Forestdale is we have a larger than typical special education population because we are a feeder site for um, many different programs. So we have um, five different preschool classrooms. Four of them are uh, special education preschool. So our youngest Falcons um, are two with their big backpacks walking down the hallway. <laughs> um, so cute. And we're also um, a feeder site for two multi-age enhanced autism classrooms. <clears throat> so more um, of an intensive setting for kids with behavioral and, and um, 
and like communication goals. Mm -hmm. But even though we have all these programs, we are very much one interdependent family. It's really important to us that um, we know we're all, you know, we're all here to take care of one another. Our, our preschool teachers will say, you know, how did the student, how did the fifth graders do on their science SOL? That's our, our standards of learning test. Or, you know, you know, there's no subs, right, Jill? So right. if <laughs> someone will say, oh, you know, I can go pop down. Like I've never, I never taught four-year-olds before. Or I never taught 12-year-olds before, but just tell me what to do. Um, so that's, you know, it's just a beautiful it's a beautiful community. Um, as for me, I'm so um, happy and, and blessed to be here. This is my 13th year as an administrator, 19th year as an educator. Um, I started as an elementary teacher, third and fifth grade um, here in Fairfax County, and then um, moved to a central office where I spent five years in the professional learning office along with two um, awesome colleagues, I had the privilege of running our teacher induction program. So with a district this size, we hire about 2,000 new teachers every year. So being able to design professional development for the teachers and the mentors and the coaches who work with them was was amazing and gave me the, the opportunity to do a lot of professional development for division-wide. Um, so really helping me hone my craft to help teachers hone their craft for kids. Um, but after five years, I knew I need to be back with the kiddos. So that's when I was able to become the assistant principal here at Forestdale and then um, was in that role for five years before I was blessed with the opportunity to move into the principalship here at my at my home um, right in the pandemic. I actually was supposed to interview on March 13, 2020, the day we shut down. So that was a while. But I, you know, I've just, I've been so lucky to have so many opportunities and ways to serve our community. But I have to say, and you, you know this, Jill, that the role of the principal is both the hardest and the most amazing job ever. Um, and I just, I cannot tell you how grateful I am each day for the privilege to wake up and, you know, and serve our incredible students, families, and staff. It's just a gift. So that's a little bit about us and a little about me. Um, you know, Jenny, you I knew that, that sometime. Yeah, I definitely want to. I knew, um, you know, in our conversation, I feel like we were an energy match. Yep. But, but listening to, I'm like, well, we really have a lot of similarities. We, uh, at Kenwood, we don't have preschool units, but I know that our international populations are, are very similar. Uh, and that passion for that, uh, you know, is one of the things that I think drew me to you was just like, oh, that embracement of just all the beautiful diversity. And that's exactly the way I describe it's so funny the way you said, I'm the proud principal of beautiful diversity. I'm like, that's exactly the language that I use. So, so kindred spirits for sure. Absolutely. So Jenny, one of the things you talked about was that uh, regardless of the diversity, uh, you know, from the preschool to your fifth graders, to, to your multilingual learners, that you're kind of all in this together. That doesn't just happen by proxy. So talk to us a little bit about what does it take from a leader to develop a culture of inclusion like that, to where everybody understands that we're all in this together to all do what's best for all of our kids? I think, yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's really about values, right? I think one, uh, there's a lot of things. Well, first off, first, it was an amazing place before I got here. Um, and before the wise principal who, um, you know, mentored me got here, there was something here. Um, it was funny. 
there was something here and we couldn't really put our finger on it. And we just said that we always said there's something about forest. I, I was, I got to go to all 200 schools in my old job um, when I was supporting, you know, uh, induction. And there was just something that set it apart. And I finally figured out it's love. Um, and it really just true palpable love for one another. And so I think first and foremost, before you even get to like, what you do, it's who you are, right? I always say to teachers, thank you for what you do for kids. And more importantly, thank you for who you are for kids. And I think that's probably um, what people feel when they come here. They, um, I mean, we say, I love you every day. There's, it's a steady parade of hugs in the morning and afternoon. Like seriously, it's like a hundred hugs, hundreds of hugs a day, um, which is the best way to start and end your day, right? Uh, and so once we figured out, I think it was about, naming it and embracing it and so we i mean we say i love you i say i love you to the custodians when i leave i had to teach the kids um sign language for i love you um which i use at home with my kids because i realized i was contradicting our um school-wide expectation of not talking in the hallway by telling them i love you all the time so now we say it in sign language um and so you know that's so first and foremost is is who we are right and that's not I'm not Pollyanna and I'm not, you know, it's not toxic positivity. It's on the contrary, you know, it's about being truly present for the other humans in our lives. Um, you know, our students and many of our staff spend more of their waking hours at school than at home, right? We're our school family. Um, and like you said, and you know, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of needs um, based on just who we are. There's been our students and, and adults have encouraged, encountered lots of trauma, even prior to the pandemic, right? Even more so yeah. since. Um, so when we hung that sign in our hallway that said, we see you, we welcome you, you belong here, we meant it, right? Is it every day for every person? No. Do we try to make sure that we're we're not letting anyone um, slip through the cracks and not feel that? Absolutely. And so I think embracing that and knowing that's a value. And then as a leader, so that's that's not me, right? That's who the people are. That's just the, the, that what's here, but as a leader trying to maximize it and continue it and, and know that that is a, a core value of ours, how we treat people, um, that you can listen for. So I think when I interview, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, do I have, I still have high expectations, right? So I know that our, I love you or isn't poor baby or here's what's going on. It's no, you can have the same opportunities as kids on the other side of the county. And I know what you can do and we're going to get there. So there's high expectations for strong instruction, right? And strong collaboration and all that. But that can be taught. I, I can't teach someone value. So as a, as a administrator, I think our most important job is hiring the right people mm -hmm. for our kids. And I think listening for listening for that values, listening for who people are, um, and then embracing it and saying, this is, this is, this is who we are as a school community, but it's easier when you have the right people, um, for the kids. I, I, tell you what, I, I feel, I feel, I feel like, I feel like I'm having a conversation <laughs> with myself. This is the craziest thing. Like everything you're saying, I'm like, um, I feel like I'm having a conversation with myself because so much of what you said, <clears throat> you know, I really want to touch back on the one part because 
so often I do think that there is that fine love of I love you, poor baby, and mm-hmm. I love, and because I love you, I'm pushing you harder. And that is a fine line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you really touched on that, that if people aren't careful, you know, we always say that we can love you into novice. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's that's certainly not the, the approach that we're trying to take. So um, I, I love that. I want to make sure I got this right. We see you. Uh, we welcome you. You belong here. Is that what you said? Yes, and we uh-huh. can't claim credit for that. We that came out of um, a lot of the equity work that uh-huh. our our county's been doing, and we're really we're really um, blessed because we as a county have been on a journey of building both capacity. Right when you have thirty mm-hmm. some thousand employees, um, being able to build shared understanding around the the work of equity, right? Understanding uh, access versus opportunity. But also the internal work, right? Examining our own implicit biases mm-hmm. and looking, inviting each other to point out our blind spots. Mm-hmm. Um, so through that work, you know, we've we've learned a lot about that's that's who we need to be, right? That's the message we need to send to everybody who walks in our door: is we see you, we welcome you, you belong here. And then beyond that, tackling, looking at our systems, right? So what mm-hmm. systems are not in what systems are not in congruence with that? where we aren't is, or we see you and you belong here for some of you. Um, so that's, yeah. that's the hard work. The, the hard work for someone like you and me is easier, right? That comes to who we are, but then being able to really have a critical lens at where are we missing the mark or where might that, where, where might we say, oh, everyone has the opportunity to come to this event, but do they have access? Mm, um, yes. And so that's, that's the harder work that we're continuing you know, nationwide, worldwide yeah, that, to dig into. Such, that is such important work. You know, that sense of belonging, um, our district as well, has really been focused on, you know, moving the needle with our work of equity. You know, and it's not what you do, it's who you are, that kind of a thing. Um, but you're right. It does take a very critical self-analysis, um, especially when you're in a school that it feels good already. Yep. You know, sometimes yes. sometimes I feel like that that's harder for people to to understand. But, you know, but we love all the kids, but we welcome you're right. But I think to your point of they all have the opportunity, but do they have the access? And of course, you're speaking my language when you talk about systems thinking, because that's really my jam. Um, and so, you know, do our systems align to provide that that equitable access and opportunity? Does our budget match? You know, do do we do we walk the walk? And so I think that that is just such a powerful um message for everyone. You know, you can say you do all these things, but do your systems and decisions align? That's that's two different conversations, right? And it absolutely. And it is the impact there, right? It's the, yes. you know, we tell, I remember we had this little cartoon in this book that the kid, the guy says to his friend, I taught my dog to whistle. And the, dog <laughs> said, the friend says, let me hear him. And he said, well, I said, I taught it. I didn't say you learned it. Right. So the idea of just because you teach it, how do you know your kids learned it? And Absolutely. when you mention for people who already have that heart lens, we need to go beyond intention to impact, right? And yeah. so just because I love them, how do we know that's what they feel? And, you know, the idea of not be for people what you want them to be to you. No, be for people what they want you to be for them. Right. And so, you know, that's, you're right. It is harder when that's your MO. It's easy for us to say, oh, we love everybody, or this is how we are. For every kid, for every (laughs) staff member, all the time, that's not possible. So we have to be critical to say, where am I missing the mark? Or where does my understanding of my intention not align with how they're seeing it? And that's harder. 
that, that is harder. That is harder. And, and you mentioned the impact piece because that that's kind of, you know, we spend a lot of time with our staff at the awareness level, self-awareness, awareness mm-hmm. of others. Um, and now we're moving on to that. So how is that, how is that showing up in the classroom? Yep. Um, and then how do we know? And so, and sometimes that's not so easy to measure. So have you all unlocked some really great ideas of ways that you're measuring the impact, particularly around sense of belonging? I know that we have a survey that we, that our district administers to our fourth through 12th grade. Um, but we're trying to mimic that for our younger students because you're right, intention and impact don't always match. So how have you all unlocked uh, to begin to discover what impact the work you're doing is having with equity? We're still working on that. And I, you know, I'm always, you know, my favorite thing is to learn, you know, you're the systematic one, I'm big picture. And so I'm always taking other people's ideas and then finding, surrounding myself with the systems people to help us put it in place. (laughs) Uh, I think we have a lot of system, you know, a benefit of being in such a large district and having such um, support is that we already have a lot of things in place at the division level mm-hmm. um, between, you know, surveys. We have our, our we have a new superintendent who's working really hard on a strategic plan and making sure that, you know, we cast a wide net, she said, of making sure we hear everyone's voices from students to parents to community members. Um, but there's that's one piece. And then again, from another equity training, we talked they we talked about three different types of data, right? There's satellite data, um, there's map data, and then there's street data. And mm-hmm. so we have a lot of when you look at academics, right? We have a lot of satellite data. We have all the <clears throat> all the common assessments and all the the data. There's map data in our classroom, but we also need to sit down knee to knee with kids um, and know the street data and know their story. And, you know, we learned that affirming students, the past two years, our, our goal as a division has been to affirm, assess, and advance. And we've really dug into affirming is beyond praise. Affirming mm-hmm. is honoring the lived truths. Um, and so one of the ways we're working on that is really amplifying student voice, mm-hmm. um, at the school level, we, um, I'm trying to, it's been on my to-do list. And so I said, I'm not, you know, I always tell teachers when they say, well, next year I'm going to, I say, you don't have to wait until next year. How about like next week? Right. <laughs> and so, um, a goal this year is to, um, start a, uh, a principal's advisory group from the students. I had the opportunity to do um, a student panel as part of that um, strategic plan, but mm-hmm. I need to be here. I mean, I talk to them all the time, right? They come to me, right? <laughs> they're always here. I'm like, okay, I can find you, right? And, um, and so that's good thing is that they know that their voice is heard, but more systematized in really listening to their thoughts. And it's funny, they everything they said is stuff we already knew, right? They are like, oh, our behavior is not great in the cafeteria. <laughs> And I don't think we're respectful enough to the teachers. I'm like, you're right. How can, like, how do we work on this? Because that's not who we are. Um, And so being able to amplify that in a systematized way, but also, but in the classroom, right? They, the teachers are their, their first, their first person, right? And Mm -hmm. so we talk about how do we go from, you know, honoring student voice is in, is beyond the morning meeting share, right? That's important, Mm -hmm. right? We have to, we have to start there so that we can teach the skills for sharing but true student voice is learning you know having students share how they learn best right having them help make decisions that drive their learning um so you know having those conversations so we're building and the need for talk i think this is something i've been here this is my ninth year right and you know how things kind of cycle Mm -hmm. and especially i think after 
after virtual, like the pandemic, right? We first, the teachers worked so hard to learn how to teach virtually, then concurrently um, with half the kids here and half the kids at home and being able to go back to what is, what does conversation and discourse in the classroom look like when many of our kids spend two of the years like talking into a computer, mm-hmm. take some explicit um, instruction and thoughtfulness as a teacher too. Um, so really that's, that's the work we're digging into back into is how do we, how do we build in time for discourse? And you know what that means? Like the more the students are talking, the less the teachers talk. Yes. And if we're talking less, <laughs> we have to pick our words wisely. So, um, that, but that's such, that's the important work, right? So yeah, they yeah that's, need to that's, su- that's such good stuff, Jenny. You know, I'm sitting here thinking about, I'm just listening and, and, you know, I wish you could see me cause I'm shaking my head like, yes, yes, that's, that's such important work. You know, and I think, um, the next step from that becomes, um, because that, you know, being culturally responsive, we are really trying to listen to our families and to our students yeah. and how can we take, you know, their funds of knowledge, um, and, and apply it so mm-hmm. that it is responsive to their needs. Um, that's, that's not easy work. Do you no. know? Um, and, and I think that where the struggle comes in is that everybody just wants to read that one book. It's just going to tell me, how do I reach every kid? Well, let's face it. If we could write that book, we could all retire. Mm-hmm. As um, but so I think uh, much like yourself, we are in that space of trying to give kids more active voice. Um, which I think we're, we're doing a pretty good job of, but then it's the, so what do you do with it? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because certainly you can't just do everything that every kid wants or they suggest say, or with, or with families, but you also want to balance that to help them know that I'm not asking you just out of a cursory response. I really want to know what you think to inf- make informed decisions about our school. You yes. know, it can't become our school as long as the, 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 the educators are making all the decisions. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, so otherwise, if you ask and you don't do anything, then then you break trust, right? Yes. Then it's manipulative. <laughs> so if you really want to know, we have to do something with it. You are exactly right. Well, Jenny, you you like just listening to so far. I'm like, oh, I want to visit. Like that's on my bucket list. I'm I, I, all my guests. I'm like, I just want to take a field trip, like take a whole sabbatical for a year and just visit everyone's schools. Um, so you clearly have so much to be proud of from the work that you've engaged in. Uh, but if I'm asking you to kind of narrow it down to one thing that you feel most proud of, what do you think that is? I think, I think it's that love. I think it's who, who we are for people. You know, I talked a lot about in the school, but beyond that in the community, um, we've worked really hard to um, build relationships, not just family to school. We have that over the years. And the next step for us is family to family. And you think about, you know, any organization that you are a part of that you love, right? If it's your church, it's not because you love your your pastor, if a team, it's not because you love your, you know, coach, it's because of the other people there. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's something I think that, you know, for that love, to have that love feeling that we have in school extend to the community. And mm-hmm. so we've been intentional about, um, especially after the pandemic, right? We had families who started here who never met anyone because they couldn't step foot in the school, right? Right. You know that too. Um, so uh, something... So building up, so again, the, I'm most proud of who we are for, for, for our community. Um, something that has been newer is um, our work, and, and we're still working on it, but really intentional work with that um, family engagement. So this was the second year we did welcome walks in the community, um, where we went to every single student's house or home, I should say, before 
And um, that came out of, I had heard that idea from other people. And then, you know, in the, during the pandemic and virtual learning, one of the, the, the themes that kept coming up as an unexpected joy was how well we got to know each other, right? We were in mm -hmm. each other's homes. I remember a teacher saying, I, I never knew so many of our students have turtles as pets uh, <laughs> or birds as pets because they came to class, right? And so we said, how do we, how do we continue that, right? That connection and that level. So we made the commitment last year for these welcome walks. And I'll be honest, in the in the beginning, the teachers were like, oh my gosh, what? Like, are you sure? We have 600 kids, 560 kids. We're going to every, this is a night that, you know, they committed two nights of the pre-service week. Um, and they came back and they could not stop like raving about it and just beaming because the kids were waiting for them with signs for their teachers. Oh. They learn, you know, we went, they partnered up and they had their roster of their kids and, um, you know, how much they learned, right. They learned about who they live with and where, like where they are in the community. And, um, so we did it again this year and it was, it's just incredible. You know, we'd be going in honking into the parking lot and playing football in the apartment complex and just, I, there was a parent who said, this, are you, you guys are the school? And I <laughs> said, yeah, they're like, you're coming to see everyone. They didn't have kids. And um, uh, just the impact it made to say, you know, to meet you on your, your level too, right? It's especially when you think about families who are new to the country, or just when you look from a cultural lens, a lot of cultures, the respect is I trust you, school does school, home does home. Um, yes. so it's a different view and value, um, or a different way the value, I guess, should say, should shows up in America. And so being able to meet them on their turf, right, mm -hmm. um, is really important. And then if they weren't there, we left them a little note, like, we're so excited you're in my class. Come tomorrow. So the next day we do, uh, we combine our open house back to school night um, with a big family barbecue. We just do one big for sale family day all, all that Friday before school starts. We said, come tomorrow. We have a DJ. It's a big whole thing hot dogs no yeah pork. that's yeah I'm, I'm telling you I'm, I'm i'm literally having a conversation with myself like we are literally the same person Jen, oh, just so in case you were wondering here um so but i, do I had a hard skill <laughs> i do have one question though uh, because i think that um you know there people you know teachers value that but i did i think you mentioned that that was, was that part of they were already um on the clock if you will doing those visits because in our district you know all of our preschool teachers that's kind of a requirement of their mm -hmm. back to work a week before and that's built into their back to school schedule that is not built into our k-12 uh teachers either uh, so, so how, I mean, is that they're volunteering? Is that what that, that happens or are you, do you find a way to pay them or do they get credit? How does that work? Yeah. So you're right. So our teacher, same thing, preschool, they do home visits as part of their program. They usually do it during, you know, during the school mm -hmm. that week because they usually then start the following week. No. And I'll be honest, like it was, here's an expectation. This is who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think part now, luckily we have the trust, right. And we have the community. And so, um, you know, I couldn't, I don't have the funds to pay them all. I try to be really flexible in other times, uh, -huh. uh instructional assistants, um, who are, since they're exempt employees, you know, we have to, they're, they're, they're clock hours. So uh -huh. I, ends up, I, um, um, 
flip them out. Like whenever, if they have to stay for something or they stay for back to school night or they, you know, have a meeting, a team yeah. meeting after school, we just, you know, say you were here for two hours, you know, let's work out what days you're not coming Yeah. And for the teachers. You know, it was a commitment. And so, you know, I'm thinking in the future, how I can, you know, if it's for this, you know, how can I cover your class so that you can, you know, leave early on another day. But they just did it. <laughs> I love that. That speaks, just, that speaks volumes. That's just who to they are, culture. right? Yeah, that speaks volumes to, to who they are. But I think, Jenny, that also speaks volumes to who you are as a leader. Uh, because, you know, people don't work for, for leaders they don't trust or that they don't like. Um, and so the fact that everyone's embracing this, that this is just who we are, I think that speaks volumes to the success of your school um, and your leadership, quite frankly. Um, oh. I, I know that, you know, you sound like your lifelong learner, like myself. Um, and so when we think about things that we do that um, become success stories as leaders, I know don't always start like that. Sometimes they are a trial and error sort of a thing. <laughs> so when you think about some of the great things that you feel like um, you're really you're really nailing as a, as a leader, that you feel that other leaders could benefit from hearing about, but maybe didn't start out so successful, it was a learning journey for you as a leader. What are a few of those things you would think that kind of capture that? That's a good question. Um... I think, well, first, and, you know, this is going to be the continued theme of our conversation, <laughs> always remembering, like, we're in the business of people, right? Yeah. And so it's so funny because what you just said is literally my words, right? People, kids don't <laughs> learn from teachers they don't trust. We don't use our, do our best work with colleagues we don't trust. So um, really being able to be intentional about building those relationships. Um, but again, it's, it's not it's not me. It's finding the right people. It's a lot of things I don't do well, but I'll tell you, Jill, I can spot talent and, and find the right people and then give them, but then give them the academic and the instructional and emotional support to do well. So I think when you talk about, you know, failing forward and from the beginning, I think in my early leadership, whether it was teacher leadership at the building level or, um, you know, district leadership, I think it is how, how to build capacity, mm -hmm. right? I think our, our greatest leaders are, are that because, and I don't mean leader with an L, little L, because mm -hmm. everyone's a leader. It, it, they're so often taking care of others that yeah. we need to learn how to build capacity. I don't think I really learned that until I became, um, when I was in central office, I had the privilege of participating and now becoming um, a trainer for thinking collaborative for cognitive coaching and adaptive schools. And really the idea of like how to truly coach other people, right? Cause there's a mm -hmm. difference between delegating mm -hmm. um, and building capacity in others. And I always use the analogy when I'm, when I'm doing trainings of, you know, we, and there's times that we need to, right. There's times that we have to differentiate for adults just as we do for kids. So there's times that I'll say, just give me that, right. Let me just take it right now for you. Um, yeah. But doing that all the time, every interaction we have with someone is an opportunity to build their self-directedness and capacity or their dependency on us. And, you know, I always use the analogy of like a backpack, right. So you go through your day and they're like, Oh, I don't know how to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh, I'll send it to you. And it's a bad, it's a rock, right? And I throw it in my backpack and then I go, oh, do you know where this is? I'm like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Yeah. And by the end of the day, all we have as leaders is a backpack full of rocks and everybody <laughs> else waiting on us. And uh -huh. we do that out of the best of intentions, right? And I think I did that a lot in the beginning. I'm still, I'm still very guilty of it, right? Um, but we rob them of the opportunity to you know, make meaning for them for themselves, just like we want to do for kids. We don't want kids to always look at their teacher and expect something. We want that productive struggle. 
And so I think something I've grown is how to coach others um, and and know that, it, and it's hard because I'm a, a a person who really values taking care of others. And so sometimes <laughs> I need to remind myself that, but but I'm robbing them of that opportunity to learn. And so that's how I remind myself that, you know, taking the long route and coaching them so that they can continue to perpetuate it is the most important thing. And so being able to be intentional around around coaching other people, I think, is something from from doing for them that I've really grown in over my leadership. And that I, and I hope that I'm trying to help others grow in, whether they're doing that for each other or they're doing that for their students, because in the end, that's that's our goal, right? Is to be not the sage on the stage, but the guide on the side, helping build, build efficacy and build capacity. And I think we all, whatever our role have both the responsibility, but the awesome privilege of building capacity in each other. Yeah. I I love your analogy um, of, of, we don't do that to students. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that that makes sense because as leaders, you know, I, I always say like, I'm so, pr- sometimes I surprise myself with how protective I am of my staff, right? Uh-huh. You know, like somebody from the outside will like, uh, something will happen. I'm like, what did they say? What, wait a minute, what, what, what? you know, I kind of go into this mama bear mode immediately. Um, yes. and, and, and so many, so often that is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. But, you know, oftentimes we hear our, our, our teachers talk about the learned helplessness of kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you think about when we, what role do we play in that, I think that we're always very cognizant of, but I don't know as leaders, and I can just speak for myself, that I'm always so reflective on, hmm, are my actions as a leader empowering you or creating learned helplessness? And so that's mm-hmm. that's a really great takeaway for me in my own leadership, because you're right, particularly in these days, teachers have so much on their plates, right? And we just want to be able to take things off so that they can teach and focus on what's best. But we do have to find that fine balance of empowering them to be the best they can be um, and not have, like you said, a backpack full of rocks at the end of the day. I I had a leader one time talk to me about, he gave the same analogy, we talked about monkeys on your back. Mm -hmm. And every time you encountered someone and they're like, hey, Jill, blah, blah, yeah, 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 I'll take care of that for you. And and literally by the time you just got down the hallway one time, (laughs) you're you're overcome with heaviness that doesn't need to be yours because often times too, there are those little bitty things that if it were just one teacher, okay, no problem. But if you're doing those little bitty things for all 50 of your teachers, then you're not really getting to that core of deep empowerment work that leaders are supposed to be engaged in, right? Absolutely. And when you think about, you know, when I teach about capacity, capacity is volume, right? We've all talked, we've all talked capacity in, in math. And so it's not about taking things off the plate. If we want to increase capacity, we need to increase the volume of what they can hold. And yeah. we do that by building their efficacy, right? And you, I mean, but also from just a, uh, a practical standpoint, you know, when you talked about that, the bell hasn't even rung and we would have made promises to like a thousand people. So by the time <laughs> I get back to all of them, they could have done it themselves if they knew where to go. Um, right. So also just, and it doesn't mean we're throwing them into the deep end, but right. saying, Hey, you want to sit down, you know, you can be, you know, empathetic, hear what's going on, acknowledge that they're nervous about that conversation with the parent mm-hmm. or whatever it is, um, or they're not sure where to start. Yeah. You want to sit down and kind of, and have a coaching conversation, right. And support them. You can always break out of coaching 
into consulting to offer some ideas or collaborating to work together. But if I don't default to coaching, then um, I rob them of that opportunity to learn on their own. So that's kind of what I always have to keep in the front of my mind is start there. And I can always differentiate like with a kid. Yep. Such a powerful takeaway. So, so Jenny, as you were, you know, learning about becoming a leader and we know that there is no class, there is no book, there is no anything that could fully prepare us for this job. Right. Uh, but when you think about once you got the job, you started wondering where in the world was this training? <laughs> what are one <laughs> or two things that you wish that you had learned in leadership prep that you did? Similar to what we're talking about. I think, um, well, what I was thinking about leader prep in, in, in the, in the adaptive schools work in their book, um, Garmson and Wellman talk about both things and energy matter. And there's, I think teacher preps or, uh, you know, principal school admin programs, they spend a lot of time on the things that are different when you leave the classroom, right? Finance and hiring and safety and security and instructional leadership and all that. And that's important, right? That matters. Um, but the energy matters too. And so I think the greatest thing I learned is that how to coach, right? How to coach, how to listen, how to have difficult conversations to do it in a way that, um, you know, I can sit down with a mad parent and they can feel heard even if we don't agree. Um, that takes training, that takes practice, that takes learning about how to listen and paraphrase and, and you know, be able to honor what's going on for them and not get defensive. Um, and then I think just the how to emotionally support the the humans in your building, right? Mm -hmm. I think just the the trauma and the it's a calling, right? It's not just a nine to five job, right. and it's it's thinking and feeling live together. I say, you know, that's why you wake up at night worried about your students <laughs> because you're not just thinking about them, you're feeling about it. Yes. So how to the energy. I wish I had learned more about you learn by doing right. It's mm -hmm. you, you can study stuff in a book, but until you practice it, um, it's not there. How to how to balance just the energy work. It's all people work. And I feel like that's that's what we're doing all day. The stuff's there, right? The the school plan and all that stuff will get done. But how to be for people what yes. they need so that they can be for kids what they need is the hardest um, and don't the you most think, important. do you think, Jenny, because I know you had talked about uh, and you and I are very similar, like when you talked about like hiring people, like I'm never looking for the perfect answers. I'm, I'm looking to almost like read your energy of who you are as a human, mm -hmm. because you're right. I can teach you any program, any anything. I, what you can't teach are those core values of, of this is who we are. So do you do you think that um, that and this might be a controversial question, but do you think you can ever be an exceptional leader if you don't do people well? Hmm. <laughs> but I think there's different ways of doing people well. Mm -hmm. So not everyone needs what I give. Mm -hmm. So, or yeah. how, you know, we have to, it's that idea again, right? Don't, be for you know treat others how you want to be treated teach others how they want to treat be treated uh -huh. i know that and then you have to sort like you know this because you've talked about this before with your own with jamila we have to have differing styles yes. so i think as long as um we know what people need and you do that through the relationship you through mm -hmm. that through asking them and learning but also picking 
you know, we get constant feedback all day long, right? I say something and the, the face someone makes is feedback to me <laughs> about either what I said or how I said it. Um, and so always filing that away every, every minute is a formative assessment for us. So as we know what people need, then we can flex how we support them. Mm. So because doing people well means being for them who they need, not who you are. And if we can't flex who we are as leaders, um, then you're not doing people well. You're doing what you want to do well. So I think, yes, I forgot the question, but I think we have to differentiate for them and then make awesome. sure we know, like, I know what they need from me. I know what they need from my amazing AP. I know who's, who can, maybe their big picture. No, maybe they just need someone. They need an analytical someone, one of our coaches or another teacher leader to sit down and say, all right, this is what it's going to look like. Boom, boom, boom. Because when I talk big picture, it just overwhelms them, right? Yeah. They need to know. Or here's, you know, okay, we have a plan for what happens on our sixth snow day. Some people, I don't want you to worry about it over winter break. Those of you who that's going to give you angst, here's where we're going to start dropping the things. And if you want to check on them because that makes you feel better, that's where they are, right? Um, making sure that, yeah, we can, we can give people what they need so that they feel supported. Yeah, I love, I wrote down what you said. Every minute is a is a opportunity for formative assessment. Oh, I love that. You're right. Because um, every minute it is from that, that tone in your voice to the face that someone makes or um, everything. And so what we do with that is so important. So, so Jenny, let's talk about challenges for a moment, because we know as a leader, we make about a thousand plus decisions in a day. Um, True story. <laughs> some, some, not a little bit easier than others and some, you know, really challenging um, decisions and um, actions that we have to take. So when you reflect upon your own leadership journey, what do you consider to be one of the toughest challenges that you face? And then how did you go about overcoming that? I think one of the most unexpected things moving into this role is, um, is just the weight, right? I mean, I literally moved from the API office and switch chairs and I remember my old principal who's so wise and she would say the jobs look very similar Jenny but the jobs are totally different and um learning yeah because in the end it's you right and yeah. so I, I would worry don't worry like I would always know you know we were symbiotic just as my AP and I like you're you know married work wives um <laughs> but it's different it's just different and the weight of worrying about the people. So I think that was the biggest challenge. And again, remember I started in the pandemic. So the worry was like <laughs> amplified like crazy. I was worried about their health. I was worried about if they were coming back to school. I was worried about my kids, right? The first thing I thought about was most of my kids eat two meals a day here. So um, how are we going to get them some food? Which yep. Fairfax did incredible. Um, so I think that that's still the biggest challenge is the, the worrying about the people. Um, but I think overcoming it, there is no overcoming, right? <laughs> if you overcome thinking about your people, that, that you should be done with the role. But yeah, I, I think... was going to ask you, I thought you were going to, uh, and here's what I did about it. I here's was what like, I did. Now I don't worry you, about them anymore. You learned how to turn it off. Tell me that secret. <laughs> I did not. I did not. Um, but I think, but I'm able to sleep a little better at night and I don't need the z every night like I did during COVID. <laughs> um, but again, I think it's kind of like what we've been talking about, right? When, mm -hmm. when it comes back to the people, it's cyclical. The more you know what's going on with them, the more you worry, right? Because not only do I know what's going on in their life, but I know who's 
who had a memorial service for her husband over over the winter break and whose mom is in the hospital and whose daughter like because that's because we're family right and we know and i say i'm praying for you or let me know so the more you worry about them as humans but the more you know about what's going on with them the more you know how to support them and that's remembering you're not alone right you can't you can't be everything for everyone, even if we want to. And it's hard because, you know, the principalships can be a lonely place at times, right? We're always checking on everyone and being calm and positive and not as many people are checking on us. Right. Um, but knowing how to surround, like we talked earlier, right? Surround yourself with people who fill your gaps and yep. people who are strategic and then knowing who needs emotional support, right? who needs strategics, like they just need to plan out the next steps. And once they know how to teach phonics in the new way, um, they'll feel better. And so mm -hmm. being able to rely on a super strong team and some of that's intentional teams, right? We have an incredible instructional support team. We have an amazing clinical team, um, you know, our counselors, our psychologists, uh -huh. our social work, but we all have to be that for each other and helping, making sure that we build in, um, that it goes back to that relationship on their own team or who on another team that they can go to so that we can support one another um, makes me sleep a little better because like that backpack full of rocks, I know I need to be, I know I need to be for them, right? I want them to know they're loved and they're cared for and I will fight for them and I will take whatever I can off their plate, build their plate up, but also knowing how do we do that for each other. Exactly. Um, Which kind know. of brings me to that, that boundaries question. So, and this is, it's so funny because this is the question that everyone has struggled with this season because to what to your point, what you've been saying is that we, we feel the obligation to be everything to everyone. Right. Um, and that's who we are as leaders. Um, but at some point we also have people at home who are also everything and then there are ourselves. Like if we don't start to take care of ourselves and be something for ourselves, then we can't be the best for others. Um, so have you found or have you tried to implement? How do you set those boundaries so that you still have something left to give to the people at home and to give to yourself so that you can be the best for the people that you support in your job? Girl, <laughs> you saw me frantically taking notes at your session. <laughs> I mean, this... I, you know, I either laugh or cry when people ask me this question, you know, um, I think it's something that we're all working on, but it's something I've worked on my whole life. And I think I finally figured out after years of coaching other people and being coached, why? Um, because for me, it comes down to my identity. Mm -hmm. um, when my mom got sick with breast cancer when I was four and my sister was one um, and she died five years later. So most of our childhood was her being sick and then us being with our rock star dad, who's like the most amazing man in the world. Um, and I think that, you know, that pivotal life event really shaped us. My sister became this strong, independent warrior that she still is. Mm -hmm. And I became the caretaker, the nurturer, right? Like that just solidified yeah. my identity. And then, you know, it's, I think it's been, putting others' needs before my own has been intrinsic just to who I am as a human. And then you layer on top of that, starting the role in the height of the pandemic. You know, I still joke, like, never have I ever been a principal, not in a pandemic. <laughs> and so I know nothing else. So, you know, to be there, the, the need to be there for families and 
and students and staff was like on maximum overload. And, and I share that part of my truth. Um, now, just because I know I'm not the only one who constantly says, I need better work-life balance or I need better boundaries, but then struggles time and time again of like putting that into place. Mm -hmm. And I realize it's because it's not that easy when it's more than just a new system to implement or like a and like developing my skill of delegating when it's asking you to flex your identity, uh. especially one that you've had for most of your life. That's really, really hard. And so I just say that to those who are still struggling. So I'm like, seriously, like, I mean, I've had this problem since I was like single, right? Like I'm always like never saying no to people. Um, and it took a long time um, in coaching to say like, why, what's the, what's under the iceberg that's drawing that. And it's, it's identity. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, Jenny, we're, you know what, we're going to become best friends. I'm just like, I'm, I'm sitting here like, we are really the same person. Like, uh, you know, uh, I think I'd listen to that because it resonates for me as well. Um, my parents divorced at a very early age. Um, and so as a result, mm -hmm. and I'm an only child. So mm -hmm. I'm listening like your sister was the independent warrior and you were the caretaker. And I'm like, well, as the only child, I feel like I morphed both of those into one identity yep. to always be the best, you know, to be the best that I could be, you know, um, always pushing harder, trying to reach higher, um, you know, trying to be enough. Um, and with that, at the same time, taking care of others and putting their needs before my own. And so you're right. I, I love that. And, and that all makes sense because you're right. We're all a work in progress, right? Mm -hmm. And while there are some great strategies, great apps, great things that I'm really trying, um, it, it almost look gives me permission to be okay with, with, with not being so great with it. When you said like, because it's, it's, it's forcing you to flex your identity. And that's so true. The core of who we are, our caretakers are our, our people who are wanting to, you know, take care of others and and put their needs before ourselves. So that's why it's not so easy. So thank you for giving us all permission to not beat up ourselves as leaders for struggling with this boundary situation. Well, it took a long time, right? And and it, it doesn't mean we, it's important, right? Because our health is yes. the health, right? And there's our family at home, and so it doesn't mean. I'm not working on it, just like you said. Um, but I think looking at managing expectations, right? I'm, my goal is not to change who I am because everything I talked about of who we're proud of is the, you know, I'm proud of who I am for people mm -hmm. and, and who other people are. And that being said, how do I, what, what can flex? And I think, you know, those first months, years of COVID um, where, you know, we literally, right, I was pushing my own kids out of the room so I could hold the town hall with the parents about yeah. health implications, right? You know, like every educator in America, we were paying more attention to the children and families we serve than the ones we call our own. Yes. And I think that made, once we eased, you know, we're not out of it, but once we eased back a little to more normalcy, that made at least the first step in work-life balance was like, I'm going to be present for my kids when they're awake and we're together. Now, granted, they're in kindergarten and second grade, so they go to bed early. But, <laughs> you know, being able to say, like, no, let's play that game. Or, you know, I've always committed to all, you know, we're, we're doing family bedtime. Um, now I have, like, the saint of a husband who single-handedly raised them during COVID <laughs> um, and is the most amazing person and will say, like, no, put it down. And I think it made it, made it easier to step away from the things, right? Yeah. So, okay, I'll write back that email tomorrow or yes, I'll finish that report tomorrow. 
and then being able to differentiate what do I still pay attention to the people right and yeah. so do they do the staff still have my cell phone number of course they had it before COVID because I thought it was important that they knew I'm there for them um, but I've seen so like if an email pops up I can ignore it if I hear you know if I get a call from someone at night because I know the frequency and the the duration and the intensity of those calls have gone mm-hmm. down since COVID, right? We're not, yep. we used to have a fifth grade teacher. We'd be like FaceTiming at 10 o'clock at night all the time um, <laughs> because that's what everybody was, you know, yeah. burning the candle at both ends. Um, but I know like, oh, I need to take this one because it's for the people and, um, but I don't need to take the email. And so I think I'm still growing at it, but I think you can still be a nurturer and, make decisions about what is a priority. You know, my, my, my home yeah. school family knows if they need me, they can get a hold of me. Um, and my family at home knows like we're there because we're in the business of people. Um, and that being said, I still took a lot of your notes about, you know, the silo. I mean, I have two different phones, so that's helpful. Work phone and <laughs> home phone. Um, but just- well, and it's, a, it's a work in progress. Like I say, I, I, I ebb and flow with it. There'll be times to where I feel like, like, in my opinion, I'm probably getting ready to be pretty good at it for about a month. You know, like I'm getting ready to be really good at working out for about a month at the beginning <laughs> of January. <laughs> um, and, and, then, and then to your point, life sets in and then we revert to who we are at our core. Um, yes. and, and that's not always so easy, but, but I, I appreciate, you know, those, those words of wisdom of just the why behind it. Um, it. It's not like we're trying to ignore our families. It's not like we're trying to do, you know, be superhumans. It's just the core of our makeup. And so giving ourselves permission to be okay with our true selves, right? Yes. And I appreciate you reminding, you know, back to the idea of intention and impact, the message that we're sending, right? I Uh want to be available. And I also, I remember, you know, you said it in your session, like, I don't want teachers to feel like that that's what they need to be, right? Because they were, you know, on one hand, we got a great app um, that we use countywide called Talking Points, which is amazing Uh because it interprets like 188 languages or something. The parent writes in Farsi, teacher Uh reads it in English, teacher writes back, parent reads it in Farsi. It's amazing. And it's increased accessibility, right? So we need to help them have boundaries too of saying like, nope, it's okay. You can write back tomorrow or say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that happen. I'll be sure to let administration know and they'll um, that balance of being there for families so that they are feeling heard, but you don't need to be doing it all night. And so- yeah, the I other thing, the other thing that if I've I'm started, always doing uh-huh. that, I'm sending the message that you always need to be working too, which I don't want at all. To you're, be exactly, you're exactly right. The other thing that I've started doing that I don't know if it's always been there. I'm just going to be honest with you in Outlook, but I've just started paying it. Maybe I've just started paying attention to the opportunity to schedule when to send my email. I was like, man, where has this been my whole existence? Um, but I think it was prior to really, you know, kind of digging into this whole teacher burnout thing. I don't think I was mindful of that until mm-hmm. I really started, you know, listening and, and, and talking with others. And, and because if I send it, particularly as the leader, it's kind of like if my boss sends me an email, right? I, I immediately want to open it because I feel like it's urgent or she wouldn't have sent it. Yep. Well, our people probably think the same thing. And many times it was never an urgent situation. It was just, it was 1130 at night. And I'd finally settled down and that's when it was an opportunity yep. for me to send it. But what message is that sending? And so, yeah, schedule send has become my new best friend. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. But it only works, at least in our outlook, it only works if your computer's on. If you're in the yeah. car, it won't send it. So sometimes I have to go back and double check it actually went out. Um, but you're right. And it's, you know, 
and that's, I think, another fail forward is uh, figuring out the fine balance for yeah. communication. Um, and then, and then flexing. We're not where we were in March, April, May, June, July, August of 2020, where they did need to know, right? If, if I didn't send, once I finally got it, if I didn't send them and say like, listen, here, here's what I know. It's not much. Um, here's <laughs> what we're still working on. I'll keep you posted. Um, that, that warranted be feeling like they were in the loop. And now, yeah, most of what we send, they don't, they don't need that night. Right. Um, exactly. So. Exactly. I'm a work in progress though. So are we say, all? I know I always know you're working late. And so <laughs> trying to, trying to keep them all in the queue for the next morning is, is something I'm working on. Yeah. And we're, we're all, you know, giving ourselves permission to all be a continued work in progress. So Jenny, we know, uh, I can just speak from this conversation alone, like how energizing it is, um, you know, to, to, to meet up and, and be with like-minded people. I think particularly, you know, for yourself and myself, our district is fairly large. I thought it was large. So I talked to you, you know, we only have about a hundred thousand students. So, um, but you know, with, within a large district, you know, there are lots of, of contacts and, and people we can reach out to or in small, whereas in small districts, there quite aren't as many, but even in a large district, sometimes it's really great to get outside of your box. Um, and mm -hmm. so that's why I think the power of, you know, attending conference sessions, uh, the power of social media, like Twitter, LinkedIn, things like that, um, really help us connect with one another to affirm like, yeah, Yes, you feel it too, or oh, what a great idea! I hadn't thought about that. So when you think about um, the people that you're connected with, or, or things that you've read, or, or learned, or courses you've taken, um, what are two, three or four suggestions that you'd want to make to others that if they don't know about these people, or these books, or these courses, or these podcasts, they need to to be aware of them? Yeah, um, I think you know I reference it throughout. I think the most life life-changing work um, I did is um, is the work through thinking collaborative which is that it was formerly the center for cognitive coaching and the center for adaptive schools mm -hmm. and um, so being a part of that you know now having the privilege of being a trainer for them but it's you know the it's cognitive coaching was developed over 30 years ago by Art Costa and Bob Garmston and it's still so true today is the idea of building self-directedness and capacity coaching not the behavior so it's, it's there's many coaching models right mm -hmm. but um we call it cognitive coaching because it's coaching thinking and we know that when we help people think in a different way that it impacts behavior um and then from that work um bob and then bruce wellman developed adaptive schools which was kind of the the how back when the defores um were alive, they said to one of our, our executive directors, you know, I think we have the what and why in adaptive schools at the time was the how, because we say to teachers like, oh, great, your team lead, or, <laughs> you know, you're going to facilitate this without building the, the facilitative yes. behaviors of the group. Yes. Um, so even just checking out, you know, their, the books, the adaptive school and cognitive coaching, and, and they're still, I mean, they're in their 80s, um, 90s, still writing amazing books. And so I've learned so much from those thought leaders, mm -hmm. just again, about building capacity in others. I think that's been the bit and how to how to have conversations, right? It's made me not just a better educator becoming having the identity of a coach, but a better spouse, a better mom, a better friend, um, because you learn to keep that spotlight on the other person. Um, and you're breaking down deeply ingrained mental models of how we communicate, right? Like, we teach kids to b make connections, but if I'm listening to someone and I go autobiographical and say, oh, that happened to me too, I'm taking the spotlight off them and putting it on me, right? They don't care about mm -hmm. my kid I had in my class. They care about their kid right now. Um, yeah. So really being able to listen. 
Uh, so I think that was probably the most life-changing work. Um, so Jenny, let me ask way. you this. If someone um, wanted to say get started with, with that, what would be their first step would you recommend? Um, so if they were a reader, they can start by looking at the books, the thinking collaborative. So now it's one organization. The website has all the resources and, and the, the seminars, um, you know, we build capacity, you know, I, I got to do that and then become a trainer for our district um, mm -hmm. and then beyond. Um, but just kind of checking out, checking out the website and seeing, you know, does that kind of align with where, you know, what you need? Mm -hmm. um, and, but all the, you know, they've written a million articles and, and books, put another book out. Um, and so just around building teams and all that. Um, so I would start on, on, you know, on that website, they can call uh -huh. me too. Um, so I think that's the biggest work as far as that energy work, right? How to support people um, from a, a school classroom lens. We really dug into um, trauma-informed classroom practices. Uh, we have, you know, our, again, you know, in the bigger district, we're able to have people who, who learn and then turn around and do the class, mm -hmm. we have an academy. But I think really that's been, super eye-opening on how like the the really the how of supporting um you know all kids in classrooms and being mindful of trauma-informed practices so that's been that's been big learning for us as a school uh, which kind of layered onto you know we're a responsive classroom school we've been doing that work for years mm -hmm. um but then that differentiation right um and then i i think just also I learn most by just following people around me. Um, you know, I'm not the best, you know, like constant Twitter. I had to get a Twitter handle just so I could like, you know, showcase our amazing school. Um, and so, but just, I think, you know, like you are in the classroom, I can see like, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. How, like, and then how do we make it happen? Right. Or yeah. I've been hearing about welcome walks, like, okay, how are we going to make this happen for us? Cause this is what we need. And then, you know, you get the people around you who are, um, the detail that I need my detail people to make it happen. But I think just learning because it's easy when you've been either at one school or at a school for a long time to forget there's so many ways of doing things yeah. and, um, really being open to, okay, well, why, you know, is this what we need right now? Uh, why are we doing this this way? Is this what is still serving our kids? And so I think the more you just learn, it's, you know, it's diversity of ideas too. Mm -hmm. um, the more you are able to zoom out your perspective, um, hear those lived experience from other people, just like, you know, we talked about with honoring student voice uh -huh. and then saying, okay, well, like, what about that? Maybe we should be, th maybe we should be thinking differently. And so I just love seeing, what other people are doing just to help kind of calibrate so you don't get in your rut of this is the way we do it here because yeah and you know the thing I've, I've learned too is that um I, I'm just sensing that we're a lot in this way like I, I talked about this on an episode gosh probably last season or maybe it was this I like I, I they kind of run together but the, I, the, the term triggered by exceptionalism like I have to be careful because like I have the personality of I want everything amazing like every, I see everybody else amazing I want that for our staff and students and community too so but we have to be I have to remind myself I'm not going to leave anyone I'm going to own this I have to be cognizant that sometimes um I have to have the courage to say no to things so that teachers can say yes to getting better than what we're already doing. And so sometimes that's challenging, particularly when I think as leaders, we all want the best for our schools. And so just being mindful that everything you see doesn't mean that you have to implement it right now. Oh, yes. 
Yes. You're so like, I am the same, like, Oh, we should do that. And, but then knowing yourself, right. Knowing your, I know I am a big picture. Like, you know, I got those, when I hired my AP, I literally pull, I said, why am I like listening and trying to infer where she is on compass points? These people like literally I pulled out and said like, where do you fall? And how does this play out in your current job? And how does this play out? In, how do you think it'll play out as an AP? There are plenty of lovely candidates who I'm already are making great schools, but they are the same as me. This is not going to work, right? So because that's not what teachers need. They need the big picture and the details and they need, you know, the North and the South and the East and the West. So yep. knowing, yep. Okay. I think this is a great idea. Who's going to be the critical thought partner to say, well, okay, what needs to happen first? Or what might this conflict with another message that we're sending? Or what are, how is, how are they all going to do this right now? And then having the, inviting that, right? We always, we want to be surrounded by people who are pushing my thinking and are, you know, just like in a CT. We always say, you don't want, the greatest team is not one that just gets along is a bunch of bobbleheads, right? You need cognitive conflict to say, huh, well, I'm wondering about, or what about for those kids or um, not those kids in the bad way, but like this group of students who are, you know, our formal assessment shows aren't there yet. Um, we need that as leaders too, to say, okay, slow your roll, Jenny. Right. Or yes. Nope. yes. And we, and we have to create to your point, we have to create that culture that invites that. Right. That's what I tell everybody, our instructional leadership team. My goal is not to have you all say yes to everything I suggest. I need someone to say no and and giving them permission and not no just for the fact of saying no, but to really help me think deeply, because that's what I tell everybody. My thoughts in my office or at my home at night on paper look amazing sometimes. And sometimes they are really amazing. But then other times, you know, because I'm, I'm not boots to the ground the way that the, that the teachers are necessarily, I haven't thought through every lens. And so having inviting that, um, that productive conversation or productive struggle within a, a conversation to get the best outcome for our school is so important as a leader. Yes. Yeah. We have to know our intentions and pick congruent behaviors. And so if that is our intention, right, then we always have to be that way because that's, you know, psychological safety is yep. knowing what to expect, right? Just like in the classroom, I tell new teachers, you don't, you can have high expectations and you can be tight in your classroom management and they, they crave that they want to know, but you can't, you have to be consistent Mm -hmm. because if this is the other day, that's not safe. So as a leader too, if we say, I want you to push back on me, then we have to embrace it um, and not take it personally, um, which is hard, especially when you worked really hard on something or you've been doing a lot of thinking all summer and they come back and they're like, I think that's a terrible idea. Um, (laughs) I'd rather you tell me before we roll it out. And everybody thinks it's a terrible idea. That's what I always say. I'm like, if it's going to fail, I need to fail right here at this table and not when it goes public, you know, that kind of a thing. So yes. So uh, when it does, right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But I think that something else you said though, too, is being mindful of our own reactions too. Um, And that's something that I can, continue to work on. Uh, you know, I, I, my, my team does such a great job of holding me accountable because I really do try to create the environment for my teachers to where they feel comfortable taking risks and failing forward. Um, and, and I, I attempt to model that, but every so often when I've got this great presentation and then the technology's not working, that's probably my quick tell my face and my, my, my accountability partners in the building are like, remember Jill, we're failing forward. I'm like, Mm-hmm. Yep, we sure are. So, so being mindful that if we say that we're open to constructive feedback or critical friend, you know, conversations, 
being mindful of our, our body language as well, because it says everything. Yes. You're reminding <laughs> us that we need to hold ourselves to the same expectation that we hold our, our teachers and kids, right? We would never <laughs> expect them to be perfect. And actually we learn the best from our mistakes, mm -hmm. um, but it's hard. It's super hard, right? <laughs> right before break. I was trying to decide, do we send home these devices and blah, 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 and their new little iPads. And the, the team was all stressed about it. And I, you know, my equity lens was like, but if we have snow and we have to ensure access to everything. Yep. And then, so I said, this is what we're doing. And then I really reflected and I was like, listen, are we going to, are we going to have six days of snow? Uh, you know, <laughs> is it really going to disrupt? Like the teachers need these new kindergarten teachers need these new lab iPads as yep. part of their daily instruction. If they don't come back, and so I said to myself, I'm going to have to eat crow. And then again, my wise mentor said, you're not eating crow. You're listening to feedback and adjusting. Yes. And I was like, mm, fair point. Um, <laughs> and, and we need that, right? But if we didn't have the relationship to say, okay, we really don't like this. Like, we'll do it. And we understand why. But here's here's what might go wrong. And that's a mm -hmm. stupid little example. Um, but it wasn't little to them. And we feel like, you know, we have to make the decision. But we we need people to bring up a perspective that we didn't think of and be okay with saying, all right, I changed my mind, not my mind. I changed the decision based on the feedback of others because. Absolutely. And you know, you, you, you mentioned it was a little thing, but I think people are always mindful of, let me see how our leader reacts with this little thing to gauge how I can approach them with the big thing. So, so you, so you say that was yeah. a little thing, but I think that that probably set the tone for if it were a bigger thing, how can we, you know, the accessibility to you um, and your feedback to them or your reaction, I think that that really set a nice tone for them. All right, Jenny, so, so tell me three words. This is the last question. Three mm -hmm. words that other people who know you would use to describe you. Hmm. Um, loving, I think. Um, oh, this is hard, Jill. <laughs> you know, this is always a question. This is always our last question that we ask in every interview we do for every position, because this is a question yeah. that can really get to the heart of people because sometimes, and, and you know, and sometimes people will just say the words with no explanation. And then other times people will explain. And, and for example, I know one time we had somebody say um, strong willed. <laughs> now, if you'd left it alone, you know, yep. you see that in a lot of ways, but they went on to, and, and really it was, I think, strong-willed was really more uh, com like what they were meaning was compassionate or dedicated to their mm -hmm. students, like, like committed Convictions. to, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that kind of a thing. So, all right. So loving, what else would we say? Um, I think so, like nurture supportive and like the nurturing way. I feel like people uh -huh. know I have their backs. Yes. Um, you know, I got a, a sweet email this morning from a family who doesn't go here anymore, you know, wishing a belated Merry Christmas. I mean, they're Muslim. They don't celebrate Christmas, but they know I do. And she ended it with, you've left such a mark on our hearts, right? Uh, and so that was just, you know, tells you that you give up, you know, that fills your little bucket. That's why we do what we do, right, Jenny? Exactly. That's why we do what we do. Um, what's the third thing? Uh, I mean, they probably say chatty, um, <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm a talker and uh, I just think a connector, maybe. Okay. I love that. 
I oh, love yeah. that. Well, Jenny, this will not be our last conversation. I can promise you that. But I do appreciate you being on the show today. Um, and I am looking forward to connecting you in the, to, with you in the future. Um, and so I, I'm wishing you a wonderful rest of your school year. But know that I will be in touch with you before the school year is out. Oh, right back at you, Jill. <laughs> I followed you right away. So but I'll say no, I don't have to implement every idea. I'll just simmer it, simmer on it for a little bit. But All right, well, well, enjoy thank the rest you for of- this p- privilege. I really um, love chatting with you this morning. Yes, yeah, same. And have a great If you enjoyed this episode, leading with love and values, building capacity in others to move from intention to impact, then please share it with your friends. And while you're sharing, go ahead and subscribe to the show if you've not already done so. That way you get automatic episode updates each week. And while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave a nice review and feedback for me. I make it a point to read every single one of the reviews I get, and it really does help with the ranking of the show. And finally, friends, if we are connected on Twitter and LinkedIn, let's change that status. As you go about your week, I want you to ask yourself, friends, are you the leader you deserve? And what are you doing about it? Thank you.